because today our lectionary text just happens to be a parable about how we wait, which feels, or I should say, which felt so relevant this week as we waited for election results. Uh, today, admittedly, it does feel a little bit different. Um, I don't know about y'all, but last night as I listened to Kamala Harris speak, I felt a release of the tension that had been building for months as we waited for whatever the election might bring. And, and honestly, for me, it felt great. But I don't want this moment of relief to fool me into thinking that the work is done and the wait is over. Uh, particularly as we think about the biblical definition of peace, God's shalom, that begins and requires the well-being of the most vulnerable. And today, just like last week, people are still unhoused and uninsured. COVID threatens our most vulnerable, our kids, our older folks, and systemic racism continues to pervade our institutions and our society. So the work is beginning. So I wanna reflect on what our text teaches us about waiting. So I'm gonna read our text, but before we do, will you join me in prayer? Loving God, you provide us with a presence and with future promises and promises in the moment. And we pray that through your presence in our lives in this moment, we may feel the reality of those promises and hear your word for us today. Amen. So our scripture comes from Matthew 25. It's in a series of parables that Jesus tells, uh, actually right before he heads to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's speaking to the disciples. So here it is. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 young bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Now, five of them were wise and the other five were foolish. The foolish ones took their lamps, but didn't bring any oil for them. But the wise one took their lamps and also brought containers of oil. When the groom was late in arriving, they all became drowsy and went to sleep. But at midnight, there was a cry, look, the groom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. But the foolish bridesmaids said to the wise ones, Give us some of your oil because our lamps have gone out. But the wise bridesmaids replied, no, because if we share it with you, there won't be enough for our lamps in yours. We have a better idea. You go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But when they were gone to buy oil, the groom arrived. Those who were ready went with him into the wedding and then the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Therefore, keep alert because you don't know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord. So this parable seems pretty straightforward. It tells the story of 10 bridesmaids half of whom do a good job of waiting and half of whom do a bad job of waiting. 
the foolish bridesmaids are punished by getting turned away from the wedding with a warning that, that we should stay awake and be alert as we wait. And it, it seems that the moral of this parable is to stay awake as you wait, because you never know when the waiting's gonna end. And if you aren't ready, you will miss your one and only opportunity. But that moral, that reading, also presumes that the groom in the parable is a stand-in for Jesus. Like, that the way the groom acts is in line with how Jesus will act. And that doesn't seem to be the case. The groom turns away the foolish bridesmaids and says he no longer knows them. But Jesus is telling this parable to his disciples. And right after he tells it, he's going to ask his disciples to stay awake and pray with him as he awaits his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you know that story, you know that the disciple falls asleep. But unlike the groom, Jesus doesn't disown them or turn them away. Jesus welcomes them back. And as we look at the groom's advice to stay awake, it would appear that he doesn't really understand what happened while he was gone. In that parable, all 10 of the bridesmaids fall asleep. The wise and the foolish sleep. Sleeping is not the problem. The problem is that half of the bridesmaids didn't bring enough oil and were unprepared for the arrival of the groom. So uh, rather than uh, focusing on the groom's mansplaining of events he didn't witness, uh, I want to focus on the wisdom of these bridesmaids. And in particular, how the wise bridesmaids navigate an anxious moment by sort of avoiding two extremes. While they wait, the wise bridesmaids don't exhaust themselves by focusing on what they cannot control, nor do they forget about what they can control. The, the groom's advice is to, about how to wait is to always stay alert, to, to be hypervigilant, to never rest. And, and that message feels a lot like the messages that drove the anxious hum of the last week that drive inside many of us to sort of put our lives on hold as we obsessively check the election news. And that's in contrast to the wise bridesmaids who know that they can't control when the groom will arrive. Staying awake won't make the groom arrive any earlier. So they rest, they take care of themselves. But the rest isn't a sign that they've given up hope. They are resting so that they'll have energy to act when the time comes. They're not like the foolish bridesmaids who think only of their their momentary desires and don't prepare for the arrival of the groom. This, I mean, and this might feel like a little bit of a stretch, 
But the foolish bridesmaids remind me of, or remind me that feeling overwhelmed can create the desire in us to just completely check out and focus on ourselves because it just feels like there's nothing that we can do to change the state of the world. The wise bridesmaids surrender to what is outside their control while preparing for what's inside their control. And, and I just have been, I've been thinking about this a lot this week um, in, in part because of like, because my response to waiting kind of surprised me. Just my personality is way more tempted by hypervigilance. Uh, I think the 2004 election, I was living overseas, which meant that the results came at night and I set an alarm for every hour so I could get up and check the results. Uh, but this year I found something really different. I found relief that I could go to bed early and not think too much about it. And I think some of this is because there was just such a stark contrast between like the anxiety I felt in me when, when thinking about the election and, and getting all the latest updates. And then like the joy of just being present and playing with my son that it's almost like, it's almost like I felt grateful for how this week has helped me kind of stay present by like showing me uh, things for as they are. And, and that surprised me. And I felt a little bit guilty about it. On, on Wednesday after the election, I was, I was feeling really zen and kind of proud. And I talked to my friend, Joey, who's a community organizer. And he was grieving in solidarity with marginalized communities who had watched a disturbingly high percentage of their country vote for a man who had advertised his disdain for them. And, and when I saw Joey's grief, it, it made me feel like maybe I'd swung too far the other direction, that I was one of those foolish bridesmaids just trying to make myself feel good or, or worse, that I was confusing spiritual wisdom with, with my own privilege that insulated me from the real effects of the election. But as I kind of wrestled with this, I thought of some wise bridesmaids that I've actually known in my own life. I, I thought about my friends in Egypt where I lived for like six years. And, and I thought about all of the potential election outcomes that, that I feared at that moment. And I remembered that my Egyptian friends lived in a country where, with a worse version of all of my fears, a, a country where it's illegal to be queer where they have no religious freedom with worse health care and worse disparity of wealth and worse government corruption. And yet the Egyptians were some of the most joyous people I've known. They had the wisdom to recognize that in that moment, 
they could not change their government. So they refused to let their corrupt leaders determine their ability to live lives of joy and meaning. They, they celebrated what there was to celebrate and grieved what needed to be grieved. And all the while they didn't allow things outside of their control to just dominate their lives. I mean, I actually, I think I remember thinking they aren't waking up devastated and anxious every day, like so many of us are feeling. But they also didn't like check out and give up hope that things could change. They, they might not have been able to control the government, but they could control the way they treated each other. And the community that we had, like in our little teeny three block neighborhood. And so when the moment came when they could hold their government accountable, the whole country went to the street and actually overthrew the government in a nonviolent revolution, a, a revolution that relied on the strengths of the relationships in like a thousand tiny little villages where people joined together to protect one another and sort of keep society calm by making sure everyone is okay so it didn't turn into a civil war. And, and I thought of those wise bridesmaids and how they didn't exhaust themselves by focusing on what they could not control, nor did they forget about what they could control. And, and for me, this is the, the posture that I want to have right now, particularly because there is still a lot of work to do. Our, you know, um, no matter who's in the White House, our, our work remains the same. Our call to love God, to love our neighbor, to bring hope and healing to the world. And as we find ourselves in a time where there's still a lot that's unknown about the future, uh, I hope that we can connect to our community for support and encouragement and friendship that helps us to be more resilient and engaged as we navigate the days to come.